You're listening to The Creators Channel. Hey everyone, welcome to The Creators Channel. My name is Chris Kelly with ProductionCrate.com and today we have a very, very awesome guest, Bruss Godier. Bruss has done some incredible work for like FUI and HUD hologram designs on movies like Avengers Endgame, Black Panther. He's worked on Spider-Man Far From Home, Thor Ragnarok, Batman versus Superman, and that's just naming like a small handful of the broad category of work that Russ has worked on. Um, Russ has done a couple SIGGRAPH talks, and that's when I was really introduced to how he accomplishes some of the work he's done. And I knew I had to get Russ here on the podcast to share some of his insight and some of the techniques and tricks of how he accomplishes what he has done. So Russ, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. Russ, can you tell us a little bit more about so how so there's FUI right, yep. which is like uh, fantasy or fiction user interface. Yep. Is that is that the term you probably would use the most often? Yeah, so uh, that was a term that was coined by um, a guy named Mark Colleran, who you know it, he before FUI was a thing, he was the guy doing all of the Hollywood FUI. He was like the one guy around who was doing uh, screen graphics for. Um, you know, like the Born Identity movies and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like way back before, like anybody was doing this stuff, he was doing it. And he kind of, uh, as far as I know, he kind of coined the term FUI. Mm. Um, and since then, obviously, you know, several studios have kind of grown to 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 take care of all of some of these these massive projects that that exist. Like it's just it's it's grown to the point where graphic design screen design for interfaces and that kind of thing has the 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 weight that those things have to carry to tell the story it's way more than one person can handle so you have studios like perception and uh cantina creative and Mm -hmm. territory that have like cropped up that that spend so much time and energy devoted to uh to handling those elements and storytelling beats in in those movies yeah and like i i i think it started out where all of the FUI design looked pretty similar, mm. but now as it's kind of like evolved and these different crews have kind of taken it on, like the the looks and the styles have really like come into their own and they really fit with each individual movie and each individual piece, um, exactly. which like some of the work you've done obviously is, is extremely like emphasizing that uniqueness. Um, Black Panther might be the best example, but all of them have that, those like unique, really cool elements. Um, yeah. So, so let's see, yeah, I'll, I'll use FUI from now on, but sure. obviously it could be like HUD, FUI on HUD or FUI that's more holographic or whatever, but yeah, it just goes on and on and on. Absolutely. Um, how, how did you get started in this? Were you like freelance motion design and then you got sucked in or? Yeah, sort of. So I, I moved to, to New York city to freelance. Like I, I really wanted to, to freelance and I really wanted to live in New York. I, I'm originally from Northern Virginia area and I'm, I went to school in Richmond at VCU. I lived there for a long time and was, you know, working in, in ads and, and that kind of stuff, doing motion design. Um, and I just sort of hit a point where I was like, you know what, if I don't do New York City now, I'm, I'm never going to do it and I'm always going to regret that. So I, uh, I, packed up my stuff and, and moved myself and my dog to New York City. And uh, I was freelancing there for a couple of years, primarily working in, in advertising, working on um, music videos and that kind of stuff. And uh, I remember it was, I think it was early 2014, I dropped a, a, a reel of commercial work 
And there was, there was a little bit of like kind of FUI interface design stuff in there for like a music video I'd done. And I'd always been really interested in that, like way before I got like into design or animation or anything like, you know, I grew up on Star Wars and Star Trek and um, Predator and that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. I, I loved those movies and I loved the, that, that kind of element of interface design. Um, I was always really into like car dashboards and all the buttons and switches and stuff. Like, I, you know, I just wanted to fly an X-Wing more than anything. <laughs> and um, so, so fast forward to like 2014, I, I dropped this like commercial reel um, that had some like kind of FUI elements in it. And uh, John Lepore from Perception reached out and was like, hey, I'd love to bring you in and talk to you and everything. You know, a couple of weeks later, I started freelancing over there at Perception. And that was, I think that was like June of 2014. And I ended up staying around for five and a half years wow. working. I worked there for, for a long time. Um, they hired me on as art director and then I later became the associate creative director there. And um, through that process, you know, of working there and working with, with Johnny and, and, and whatnot, I, I really got to, to work on a ton of really cool projects doing, doing a lot of FUI. It's really what we, mm -hmm. what we had kind of focused on. There was like a big FUI component and that's, that's where I really got to, I think, flex a lot of muscle in terms of doing some of that stuff that I'd always really wanted to do, but I never really had like a professional outlet for it. And here was, here was the perfect opportunity to, to jump in and, um, and really sink my teeth into something that I've been like really excited about for almost my whole life that I could, that I could remember. I just didn't know that it was a thing I could do until yeah. I could actually do it. What's like the R and D process for you? Like does everything like, do you push everything into like a, like a look dev period where like a client comes and then you're like, okay, I'll do R and D. And then like, here's a couple options or are you doing it in your free time? So, so the way that, the way that I really like to work um, and, and sort of the way that perception always operated is that we sort of like to base everything in, um, in, a, in a little bit of reality because like there's, there's a, a whole other side to, that company that, that you just don't see, which is all of the work that they do in tech, um, you know, tons of work in tech and that all that obviously has to be very real. It has to be very tangible. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had always kind of had our like one toe in the realism waters and one toe in the, in the, the fantasy waters. And, um, and I think that kind of like Venn diagram where those things sort of come together, that like middle part is, is where we really liked existing. So, for me, my process, when a new project would come across my desk, I would always start with research first. Hmm. You know, like if we're doing a, a you know, a, a, an interface for a cockpit, like, okay, well, I want to start looking at cockpits. I want to see, you know, what are the, what are the elements that build a realistic cockpit? You know, you look at fighter jet interfaces, you look at uh, space shuttle interfaces, you look at like, you know, how does somebody dock uh, with the International Space Station, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Like, what are the things that they need? What is the information that they're being presented with? And from there, you can kind of take, like, some some inspiration from those things. And then on the other side, I really enjoyed the research looking into, like, what are some other FUI designs? Like, what are some things that that are kind of unique and interesting in that space 
that I can draw some inspiration from. And then I kind of like, it, you know, I mean, the, the creative process is, is sort of, you can sort of sum it up by saying you just sort of smash those things together. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like a, a, an oversimplification. But, you know, you get, you get a, a, a room of smart people together who are really into this and really well educated on, on what the needs for the client are. And then you just brainstorm out ideas. And from that, you, you know, it's really a a very collaborative process. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like to work in a vacuum. Like I always do my best work when I'm working with other people who, um, who are really into the project. Uh, That's, that's really kind of my sweet spot in the, you know, I always, I always found that at, at perception. They're always really excited about that. And, um, you know, with the clients and everything, like we, we did a ton for Marvel studios and they were really receptive to a lot of what we were bringing to the table. Cause mm-hmm. we would bring them things that, you know, that were kind of left field in, in a lot of cases and they, they would always hear it out and, and, you know, we're always really good collaborators as well. So I think that was, that was always a key to successes. Yeah. Having it like a good client, like that, like allows you and embraces your creativity like that, or like yeah. at least like your curiosity, like explore, like we want to hear those unique options. There's exactly. nothing better you can hear, but like if you're put into a box then it's like, eh, why, yeah. why do it? Yeah. And, and there are, you know, there are a lot of directors out there and there are a lot of studios out there that, that just treat FUI like set dressing. They just want pretty, you know, they want pretty like blue flashing lights in the background and like, give me some blue shit on the screen and it's great. Yeah. Um, I don't really care what it does or what it says, but the, the Marvel studios folks were always really, um, considered when it comes to that stuff. I mean, there's obviously there's times when it needs to be set dressing and you just need to make somebody look really smart and complicated, but you know, they were always really open and receptive to, um, to, to new ideas and unique ways of treating interfaces. It was, it was really, really cool. Yeah. What's your favorite Mar? It's probably very hard to choose. I assume, but do you have like a favorite Marvel project that you worked on? Oh man. Um, my favorite has got to be Black Panther, but we did so much on Black Panther. And it was such an amazing experience to work that closely. We worked really closely with Ryan Coogler, the director. We mm-hmm. worked really closely with, um, with the entire executive team, but he was, he was very involved and very excited and really wanted, he really wanted the world of Wakanda to feel like, like it had been developed outside of the, the, the bubble of Western influence, you know, like he really wanted that to feel like it, it evolved in its own silo, if you will, you know? Um, and so we, we worked with him a lot we'd have, you know, pretty regular conversations with him where we present him ideas and he would fire back ideas. And he was just so cool to work with, man. He was, he was just amazing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, Black Panther is such a, a cool example because, like, you know, like a lot of FUI will start to, like, like trend towards, like, a center thing. And and for me, yeah. creatively, like, you, you see a bunch of different inspiration or, like, style sheets or, like, concept art. And, like, all of this starts to, like, mash together in your head. And then everything starts to kind of, like, look the same. But with Black <laughs> yeah. Panther, like, like you were saying, it's, like, Okay, the idea is like instead of like just um, progressing more and more futuristic off of the same stuff, it's like yeah. going all the way back to the source and like um, 
like digressing from there and like creating this new evolution of technology, like using the vibramium source and like different cultural influences and stuff. And like that gave the whole Black Panther world, like such a unique look that wasn't like, it wasn't lacking in technology. It was like a totally different, like almost alien like technology. Exactly. And I think that was that, that really was kind of the, the thing that we are after and, and we're able to achieve, it took, it took some time to like really work that out. But the cool thing is that that, that idea, that technology is not entirely science fiction. There are, um, there are some really amazing experiments being done with uh, ultrasonic transducer arrays where they're like able to manipulate and move little tiny particles of like, I think they use styrofoam, you know, like Mm -hmm. the little balls of styrofoam. Yeah. Uh, There was this really amazing video from Tokyo university that we watched where they're using these, like they've got like arrays of these like tiny, tiny ultrasonic speakers and they're using those sound frequencies to like move these particles around and like, the way that they move is so cool. Like it just feels so unique and so kind of analog in such a fascinating way. And that was- Three pixels almost. Yeah, exactly. And like you just, you look at that and then if you, you know, if you think about like the genesis of, of, you know, uh, the pixel or like, you know, the, the early days of like, you know, when Tony Stark was developing holograms or whatever, you can imagine that there would be a point where, you know, there was a incredibly low fidelity version of that. But as you add fidelity, you ultimately end up with, you know, uh, uh, you know, a retina display on your computer or, you know, crazy Tony Stark holograms. And so we had, we had kind of seen that video as sort of this, that like early lo-fi, kind of example of what it could be and, Mm -hmm. and, and really kind of based so many ideas and behaviors for the way that the sand would move and, and shape itself. Um, we really based it on this kind of real world example of, of, that's awesome. Yeah. I didn't, I haven't heard that before. I gotta look that video up. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll send you a link. It's man, it is so cool. It's the way that it moves and behaves. Like, have you, you've seen cymatics cymatics was another, like kind of thing that we used heavily as inspiration. Same kind of thing, except it's not floating around. It's, you know, it's like sand or salt on a plate that's, you know, had like a, a pulse pushed through it. And it right. forms these like really wild kind of mandala shapes. It's just totally. beautiful. Yeah. Um, same kind of thing, but like floating in space. And it's just, man, it's just. God, that's uh, crazy. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. In a way, like I wonder, you know, 20 years or something or like will there be like the Black Panther style stuff? Like, will right. it almost like be a circle where like you were influenced by reality and then like the reality is going to be influenced by like, you know, the... Yeah. Well, I mean, stuff. you have to wonder if if iPhones and touch interfaces would be what they are without Minority Report, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's like Minority true. Report, that like that that interface, the his movements, the pinch to zoom, mm-hmm. the, the swiping, the... He's he's that that movie was so far ahead of its time in the way that that interface operated um the the guy that was the uh, he was either a consultant or he was a um, production he was involved in the production design somehow uh, he's he's actually gone off and started uh his own company where he's he's essentially got a um it's called mezzanine the product mm-hmm. uh, 
um, and it's like a, a minority thing. report style thing yeah. like for, for like your meeting rooms so you have a wand that you can like like i could drag your image that's on my screen right now i could drag it up to a big screen and i can enlarge it and i can do all kinds of things and it's it's really cool to see like that's these, awesome. it's it's wild but like you got to think about you know would would the iphone or the android phones or any would that interface paradigm exist without somebody having you know made a movie where like you've seen somebody do all of these kind of wild motions I, it's just it's crazy to think about man yeah i mean yeah it's it's really cool to hear that like a lot of these ideas are based in reality and then like i mean that's it's the same thing that like inventors and entrepreneurs are doing where they sit around and they like talk about what exists and like what what the future can hold and like yeah you know you guys have the benefit of being able to just kind of like fake it, you know, and actually have to build <laughs> the technology that does that they do. Yeah. But yeah, it's cool that like you're, you're doing like, you know, kind of the creative or like the, the logical step, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Just like minority report. Like if you want to zoom that type of motion feels the best for it. So. Yeah. yeah it's, and it's, it's, uh, I love, I love examples like that where, where things, you know, real technology comes out of something that was sci-fi at a certain point in time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love that stuff. Is there any, um, like, like there's so much going on with a lot of like FUI screens and um, like, it's just like, like the amount of detail on there is like meant to be like compositionally sound, but also somewhat overwhelming. Like look how yes. much technology is going on and there's so much room to like fit in these like, random little like jokes or like, like hello world yeah. or like whatever in there. Yeah. Have you, have you done any, like snuck any little words or? Yeah. I mean, you know, eggs? you, you, uh, there, there were a few times opportunities where you sneak in like your, your initials and somebody's birthday or whatever. Totally. Yeah. Uh, it, it's always that kind of stuff. You know, we, we, um, you know, you need a, a, a stock ticker that has some like non-existent companies. So you just use, you know, everybody's initials who are around you and, mm -hmm. you know, use their birthday as the, you know, the, awesome. uh, the up and down, you know, trending and whatnot. Yeah. Um, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. I think my, my favorite example of, of that kind of stuff, cause people hide, people hide that stuff all the time and it's really cool. But one of my, one of the best things that I've heard was in, um, uh, what's it called? Sorry, I'm drawing a blank on the movie name oh, okay. now. It's um, uh, the Alex Garland movie about the AI girl. What was what's that movie called? Not sorry, I'm, Ex Machina, right? Ex Machina. That's okay, the was, one. I yeah. love that movie. That movie. It's so God, good. I wish people would just talk about it more, so I could just like. Because I, I, I get sick uh, of myself talking about it and yeah. no one else seems to appreciate it to the level that I do. Like, are I you love kidding me? that it's movie. It's so good, yeah. But one of my favorite Easter eggs, FUI Easter eggs I've heard about, if you if you could call it FUI, because I guess it's not really in that sense, but like there's, there's a moment where there's some Python code on the screen. And if you take that Python code and you run it, like it's actual Python code. If you run that Python code, it gives you the um, the the ID number of a book that is uh, that was written by like a, a consultant on the movie. This guy actually actually think I might have the book handy somewhere. 
That's um, awesome. But it's a, it's a really fascinating book about, I mean, it's, it is, it's like a PhD level read. Like it is the intersection of like serious, serious philosophy and really intense artificial intelligence theory. Wow. Um, uh, like I bought the book and I was like, Oh, I can't wait to read this. And I got like two paragraphs in and I'm like, there's, this is, <laughs> I need like three degrees to understand what the hell is going on in this book. But it's, you know, it, it was this really cool Easter egg that kind of points you to this, this yeah. textbook written by the guy who was like a, the AI consultant on the movie, which I, I, so I cool. love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Black Panther. Absolutely awesome. What was your first big, like blockbuster style movie. Yeah. So the first one that, that I worked on at perception was, um, Avengers age of Ultron. So we did the opening title and we did, uh, we pitched and won the main on end title sequence for that. Mm -hmm. movie. Uh, so prior to that, that was, you know, so that, that movie, I think we started at the end of 2014. So like that was right after I came on board at perception and, uh, it ran through like probably the end of March, I think. So it was probably a good, like three, four months job, but we had pitched a bunch of ideas for the title sequence at the end. And ultimately they ended up going with this kind of like statuesque marble. Theme. Yeah. Have you seen, yeah. um, I mean, I'm sure you guys have, but, um, black sales. Yes. Yeah. I love, I love that title sequence. I love And the music. Yeah. yeah. Like the it's whole, so, yeah, the whole bit. Yeah. Very similar. It's funny. Cause that's, uh, that was, I believe that was Karen Fong at, at IF who, who I'm currently working with oh, <laughs> at cool. the moment. Yeah. Nice. Uh, but yeah, black sales was black sales is a ridiculous title. Uh, they, they wanted to go with something that felt like, like a monument, you know, they wanted it to feel like it was a, um, you know, a statue that was kind of depicting this, this kind of like final conflict uh, between Ultron and the Avengers. And that was, that was the one that they really wanted to go with. There was, there was another one that we pitched that I think was close, but they ultimately ended up scrapping some of the storylines that would have made that, uh, that title sequence more relevant. So the, mm. the, you know, the statue was the, that was the big one for them. So. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was fun. That was a fun movie. It was, <laughs> it was an intense project, but it was great. I bet. Yeah. So after, after Iron Man, what was the, um, what was the next big project? Uh, let's see. So after that. Age of we, Ultron. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I said Iron Man, but yeah. yeah no, after Age of Ultron. Yeah. All good. So we did, I think, I think Batman V Superman was the next big one to come along. Mm -hmm. So Batman V Superman, we did, you know, we did a, a bunch of FUI design for that. They didn't really, they had a title sequence at the beginning of that movie that was kind of, I, I want to say method did that title sequence, but it was, you know, it was like slow motion macro footage at that moment where, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne's parents get shot and killed in the alley. And in case and you haven't like seen that. enough of that scene, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just in case you remember this one, you remember this one. Um, yeah. So we did a ton of FUI design for that, uh, a bunch of stuff in the bat cave we did. There was like one extremely brief moment on the inside of the, the cockpit of the Batmobile. We did a, a, a couple of screen designs for that. Um, 
ton of stuff in the bat cave ton nice. of stuff in the bat cave that we did a lot of it's a cool lot of yeah you gotta work with like such iconic like structures and vehicles yeah. and whatever like that you know like yeah. contributing to like a, the core like foundation and style of these yeah yeah the, you gotta like work on the freaking batmobile like that every it, kid's dream it's it's wild man it was it's crazy we uh so i remember johnny had actually bought there was a uh, like a you know, a, a scale model of the Batmobile that you could buy. And if you, if you open the door, you can actually see inside. And one of the screens, one of the little stickers on the screen was like taken from our screens that we designed so it up in the toy, yeah. which was crazy. Um, a fun job. Uh, it was, it was wild, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And then I think after that was, we did a bunch of work on Dr. Strange and then uh, Marvel Studios had asked us to um, redo their opening logo. So, like, we did the uh, the the one that is so the when the current. images first pop in, and you're like zooming out, and they're like exactly. So it's you know the the original one was the the comic books flipping, and then right. the 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 kind of logo, the logo like, up. yeah. And you like pull out from the logo. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second iteration was the sort of 3d version of that, that IF did where it's the comic book pages flipping, but then those comic book pages are like kind of side of the, on letters, the, side of the right? letters. And then you yeah. see now. Yep. Exactly. And then we had, we had, they, when, when we were asked to do it, the, it was right after they had become Marvel studios, like properly as their mm. own thing. And uh, they really wanted to put like a, a, a big flag in the ground and, and say, you know, this is, this is us. We've arrived. We, you know, they really wanted this big kind of set piece logo intro for their movies. Yeah. So, you know, we decided to kind of approach it like, uh, you know, almost, almost kind of mimicking the filmmaking process in a way where like you start with the comic book pages, but then you start to get kind of uh, concept art and script elements kind of written in there. And then at a certain point that becomes the actual production. And then you're inside this kind of like vault of letters and um, you know, where you're seeing all of the footage projected on the different walls and you pull back and there's the, you know, the yeah, that intro makes me feel like it, it's, I, you know, I feel like you couldn't start with it right like you couldn't yeah. like the very first iron man couldn't have it like it no. wouldn't feel right but after like you know watching the mcu for so long and like being a part of it and then you see like the new intro i feel like like it's very earned and also like the audience is very like like with it right like it's yeah. it's like nostalgic for everyone who's been watching at the since the exactly beginning. exactly and they you know we we had built that in such a way that they could go in and switch um, or add clips from different movies so that it would always stay relevant, you know, mm -hmm. for like each movie, you add a clip from the previous movie in there, you know, so like it, it's, it's always this kind of like evolving sort of thing. So it's, it's always different for everyone. So you guys like built a template for them that they can like update on? Sort, well, we, we had actually done all of the, the heavy lifting on that. So they would come to us and they'd right. say, Hey, here's, you know, here's 10 clips from the last movie. Let's see which one works and where, and mm -hmm. we, would, we would kind of block it out and figure out like, okay, well, this clip is, is really short or this clip is like really wide. So it needs like a nice, like wide kind of space to live, or it's like super tall, like where can we fit this thing. And uh, so we would, we would come back to them with like a few blockings of it and kind of figure out what, what needs to go where, and then once they locked it in, we would go through the process of 
you know, projecting it in 3D and getting all of our reflections and refractions and all that stuff and then comping it up in After Effects and, and shipping it out to them. That's awesome. Yeah, so there's like this um, common misconception that I hear a lot, or I, maybe it's it's just the way people are, are talking about After Effects and Cinema 4D, but I hear a lot of people say, that software is not used in feature films. And it's like, it's, it's maybe not used for like the visual effects and the compositing side, but it is totally used for like the motion design side and the title side Absolutely. and the FUI side. And like it, these movies and um, you know, like, uh, like the look dev side and, and storyboarding even like it's totally used. It's just, it's not used for like this very specific part very often. Right. Exactly. It's, it, I would say it's, you know, after effects and cinema 4d have always been more design centered tools. So you're going to see it much more heavily in, in the sort of design focused areas of filmmaking, you know, mm -hmm. FUI design is, you know, I don't know anybody who's doing FUI design, who doesn't use After Effects and Cinema 4D, at least at some point. They're just so, like, they're so tailor-made for that kind of work. Yeah. You can absolutely use Maya and Houdini and Nuke and all kinds of stuff. You absolutely can. And, and you know, tons of shops do. We definitely had at Perception. Um, but I think when you have a team of designers you know, your, your motion design bread and butter is After Effects and Cinema 4D. And that's kind of what like FUI design and title design is really kind of, kind of rooted in. It's not rooted in explosions and water sims, you know, uh, totally. or, or character animation necessarily. Um, so I, I think, I think it's unfair to say that After Effects and Cinema 4D don't get used in, in feature films. We, we were almost exclusively an After Effects C4D shop at Perception. It was, it was rare that we used anything else. Yeah. I mean, they were the best tools for the job that you were doing. And like, Man. that's, that's all it is. These, these are tools, you know, and I freaking like C4D for me is my favorite. Like, yeah, it, yeah everything about it is so intuitive. I like, you know, I love After Effects too. I, that's where I do all my like compositing work and whatever else, but yeah, C4D, like, there's something about it that anytime I open it up, I feel welcome there and not like yeah. hit with like, yeah, all the nonsense of other software. I, I started with Maya way, way, way back. And uh, I, I was, I've always been kind of a self-taught software guy. Like I've never, you know, I, I didn't have like a class or like I buy a book, you know, this was before you could really like see too much online. You mm -hmm. know, this was, you know, 20 years ago or, longer that I picked that I picked up Maya and uh, I, I remember just beating my head against the wall trying to figure out what it was and how to use this program because like I prior to that I was you know I got really really into flash like in the in the like the mid to late 90s I was like super into flash and I was like really into flash animation and I do like um you know I I I did like a ton of flash websites in college and like I I basically freelanced on the side building you know flash websites for yeah businesses and friends and everything and and so I was really into that and I and so I had a, a you know a, a fairly comfortable relationship with complex software and, and coding and that kind of thing. But Maya was just next level, man. I was like, there's a menu of menus 
I don't even know how to like wrap my brain around this program. It was just so, and, and I didn't have anybody teaching me and nobody was around. It just, it was so tough. I remember when I, when I heard the term UVs, I think I spent three weeks trying to figure out what a UV even was. Yeah. I was like Googling it and I was like looking in books and I was like, I don't even know what this is. But I remember very clearly when I first opened up Cinema 4D and I was like, oh, this this feels like like this feels like something I could actually use. Like I, I understand this. And like, you know, I'd been noodling with, with 3D for a year or two up to that point. So I wasn't completely fresh off the boat with, with 3D. But Cinema 4D is, ever since I picked it up, that's, that's my primary tool, you know, always and forever, as far as I'm concerned. That's Absolutely. A, it's just so good. And the, the community, the community that they built around that software you know, they, they really saw a, a need for a motion graphics specific 3D solution. And they really like, they really pushed that because Cinema 4D was always a, it was an architectural visualization program. Hmm. It was never, it was, its intended purpose was, was for architecture. Wow. And, and I didn't building. know that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that's why when you go to, like, the object manager and you, you know, you dig through all of the library of stuff, it's full of, like, couches and chairs and sinks and lights and windows and that kind of stuff. And you're yeah. like, why would I want all this? <laughs> it's because way back, it started life as, a, as an architectural visualization program. Oh, wow. And it was... It was a, a, a directional shift in, in their company in, like... The early 2000s, I think, and, mm. and maybe they'll correct me if I'm wrong on that, but by, uh, from what I understand, it was like the early 2000s where they started to really like target this motion graphics niche where it was very clear that there needed to be a, a designer's tool for 3D. Because um, prior to that, it was, you know, it was Maya and Max and Lightwave and whatever else was around. But I think Maya was probably the primary tool that people were using. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they really swept in and and made a design friendly 3D application. Very much so, yeah. And then they built this community around it, and they you know because the Maya community at, at the time at least was was kind of populated by visual effects artists. So there like it didn't there was like a weird disconnect with the motion design community where like they I don't feel like they they really felt like. Maya had the, the community for them and Cinema 4D, they just, man, they fostered this, this relationship with designers and with artists, you know, that still, that still really exists today. And like, and, you know, the sharing of information, the wealth of knowledge out there for Cinema 4D users, it's, it's insane. It's amazing. Yeah. They do seem to do just a very good job of like communicating, but also like empowering their users, yeah. you know, and they'll, they'll do the talks and they'll do presentations and like it. Yeah. Like the accessibility of C4D, like the first time I opened up, I had a similar experience where I was coming from early blender. I'm sure we have a lot of mm-hmm. uh, blender viewers and listeners blender like now seems awesome. I'm not using it, but it, it definitely seems very cool now. But back in the day when I first started, um, getting into 3D, I was using Blender and I just felt like 
like every single little thing I wanted to do, I would just have to like punch through a wall to get there. And then I get C40, I open it up. I'm like, well, I just wonder if I can like do all this and pile this on, do that and flip that. And then like, um, play it out. And it's like, Oh my God, it's working. Like everything I tried to do is working right away. How is that even possible with 3d? I, Yeah. yeah. So I fell in love like instantly. It's hard not to, man. It's, it's, uh, it's such a good tool to use. Um, I, I picked up Houdini several years ago and I've, I've, I've really like dug deep into that program as well. Uh, and I love it and it's, it's amazing, but cinema 4d will always be forever. My, my kind of go-to my bread and butter program, you know, mm-hmm. it's just so fast. It's so fast and it's so fun to use like yeah. it makes fun is a good way to describe it for sure like there's no like real yeah. intimidation there but it no. it's also like it's not cheap you know it's not like a fun little like starter toy like it can right. do very complex things if you wanted to yeah you can get very deep with it and and you know they really have i think they've in so many ways listened to um you know, what, what kind of features and functions artists want? Like, what are the things that are going to help them stay relevant in the future? Um, you know, what are the things that, that people are really wanting to do and how's the industry evolving? Um, Mm -hmm. and, and they've been, they've been really good at, at keeping up with that stuff. And they're just the nicest people as well. Like if you ever get a chance to interact with them, they're so cool. They're just, yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I hear about. I think I was listening to some Grayscale Gorilla podcast, and they're talking just about some random examples that they've given. And so somebody's talking about like, yeah, I, yeah, all these nice examples of the guys at C4D or Maxon, and just the the love yeah. that comes from them. So yeah, that's you, nice. the 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 community is not fluff. It's uh, it it really starts at the top, and and you know they 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 love that. They live and breathe that. Their community, their users, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's really really cool to see. So for C4D, I know you're you're also a Houdini user, which yeah. is like you know the standard 3D tool for most visual effects related stuff. Yeah. Um, do you see C4D moving more in that direction, or are they just solidifying their niche of doing like the motion design type stuff? That's a that's a really good question. So I, I think they've they've seen yeah well. I'll say this for, for the world of motion design, Houdini is very much a niche program. Mm -hmm. It's not something that, that you need to know as a motion designer in order to survive. Like it just isn't, um, it does, you know, it is an incredibly unique program. It's, it does things that nothing else is going to be able to do, uh, at least as efficiently. And it's, you know, it really is a, a, a tool that builds tools. It's a fascinating program. Um, but for the world of motion design, I, I always kind of think of Houdini as a, um, almost an extension of cinema 4d. So like I'll, I'll can, you know, I'll, I'll start something in cinema 4d with the intention of like maybe taking it over to Houdini to do some additional processing or whatever it is, or, you know, to play a support role. Um, but certainly in recent releases, you know, since the introduction of, of fields in cinema 4d, um, you know, that is a very procedural, um, kind of approach to things, which is, you know, the, the MoGraph module was always very procedural. It always had a lot of like, um, it, you know, you're, you're kind of like setting up your environment and then you're, you know, you're affecting it with effectors and doing all kinds of things. 
You can always go change the base of it or any yeah. part of that stream and it it's responsive. You're not, exactly. you don't have to bake it all down or anything. Exactly. And I think there's, you know, they, they really saw a lot of success with that. Um, obviously, I mean, they, they won an Oscar <laughs> for the MoGraph module, which is That's insanely awesome. cool. Um, and, and rightfully so it was, it, it, it shaped so much of the visuals that that program was producing. Um, the, the flexibility and the power of that module was amazing, but then you added fields on top of that and it just took it to like a completely different place. It mm-hmm. was, it was uh, a huge leap that, that level of proceduralism um, and, and being able to use fields and, um, interacting more with like vertex maps and, and that kind of thing, I think was, was such a big, um, a big shift for the way that people use Cinema 4D, um, or at least the way that I used it. And it, it, it is a more Houdini like kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think, and you know, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think they're necessarily like trying to encroach on Houdini's, kind of niche environment that they've got in the motion design industry. Um, I think what they're doing is drawing some pretty heavy inspiration from some of the things that, that make Houdini really powerful and some of the things that people really love about using Houdini. Uh, the new node system, uh, which I, I haven't had a chance to actually use yet, but that's, you know, obviously Houdini is a, uh, an entirely node-based application. And you've always had Espresso and you've had, you know, it, you've had Redshift and you've had Octane, which were, you know, um, node-based structures that, that you're building shaders with. Um, but being able to really kind of stretch that across the entire application and being able to like do procedural modeling and connecting things via nodes in Cinema 4D, I think is a really fascinating idea. Yeah. Um, there's and there's there's no there's no right or wrong way I think to approach it. It's just two different ways of solving problems. Some some are going to be better for your traditional drop down menu kind of nesting structures, and some are going to be better with with a node based structure. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I I really want to like I don't do much Espresso. I don't really have so much need for it, but. Like, it's not scary, you know? Like, it's, maybe appearance-wise, it's not, it's a little intimidating, but when you go in, you're like, oh, like, this does this, this command does this. You can, like, simplify it this way and, like, just create, like, a, a clean-looking node graph. And, like, yeah, yeah I, I really love, like, that factor. So, like, I've always been, like everybody, a little curious about Houdini and, like, thinking maybe one day, maybe there's something there for me. Um, so, you, you're, mostly C4D and you go to After Effects, which is more layer-based. Have yes. you thought about like Nuke or Fusion or one of these more like yeah. things? It's funny because I, the year that I taught myself Houdini, or I really decided to sink my teeth into it. It took me like four or five times to like really, get really it. get it. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I decided to set aside an entire year where I was going to like dedicate my, um, my kind of, personal projects and work that I was doing on the side, I was really going to dedicate that time to learning Houdini. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time I had also said like, well, if I'm going to learn Houdini, I'm going to be living in this node world. I might as well learn new too. Yeah. Um, that ended up being a little ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> Houdini is uh, it's, it's a, uh, 
it's a harsh mistress. It's, it's serious, serious stuff, especially in the beginning. Uh, and you just have to use it all the time or you forget it. And that was always my issue in the past is I'd use it for a couple of weeks and then I'd put it down for a month and come back and be like, no, I don't know what I was doing there. Yeah. Um, and so I, I never really dug into nuke. I've used nuke enough to be dangerous, you know, like I've used it enough to have an understanding of the basics of the program. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you, you know, if you threw me a a nuke script and, and asked me to adjust some things, I could probably figure it out. Um, but I never really got into it. And I, I think, I think as far as, as my career has gone, like I, it hasn't been for me personally, a super essential tool. Um, I see the power of it. And there's, there's certainly times when like, you just have to have a nuke artist. Like there's, there's nothing else that's really going to do the job. Like you just need somebody in nuke to like mm-hmm. make it work. Yeah. Um, and nukes, nukes color pipeline is just amazing. After effects, the, the, the one thing with after effects that was always, always brutal every single time we worked on a Marvel movie or, or any movie really was, you know, in the very beginning of those projects, they give you, um, they give you a giant document of specs. Like these are the specs. This is how we expect you to deliver files. This is what information needs to be on the slate. This is what you need to have burned in on the, you know, on the top and the bottom. Uh, you know, these are the, the file deliveries that we want because, you know, they're, when you're delivering things to them, they've got so much, they've got this like big ingestion process and things don't, you know, if they're na- not named right or if it's not the right file type, the system spits it out. So like they have to conform to like mm-hmm. a very specific thing. And one of those things is uh, a color pipeline, you know, like if uh, Marvel, Marvel's using aces these days, which is a, you know, before that they were, every movie was totally different. Who knows, you know, what kind of custom 3d LUT they would have, but you know, now they're now everything is is moving towards aces, which is great. But Cinema 4D doesn't support aces. Um, Redshift sort of supports aces. It might yeah. be it might be a little better now. And and After Effects doesn't natively support aces either. You need like and a third so, party plugin or something to get it, or just we used at all? yeah we used Open Color IO, and what they would do they would provide us with a nuke script. And the nuke script would have the, the exact color pipeline, and it was always intensely complex. They had a guy on staff who, uh, who was a, their color scientist, and he would construct these insane nuke scripts that, like, wow. that you, like, you put in something that looks gross and ugly at the top, and at the bottom it spits it out looking beautiful and amazing. Wow. Um, and so, you know, so in order to work in cinema 4d and after effects in that environment and not have to say like, okay, well, every render I spit out has to go back to the new pipeline. Um, you know, we had to get a little creative with, with some open color IO solution and we were always able to do it. Like it was never, you know, it, it never ended up holding us back necessarily, but it was always a process in the beginning of those yeah, things where it's like a box that you have to check that like, it'd be yeah. nice if you just, it wasn't there. Exactly. And that's, that's really where, where nuke shines is, is nuke is really a raw stripped down tool. Like it is a no frills thing. It is not pretty. It is not going to hold your hand. It's, you know, it is a, a raw tool. And that's, it's something I always really appreciated about nuke, honestly, like I kind of love the aesthetic of that kind of rawness. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with like flame and smoke 
as well if you've ever played with those like they have this like it's just an ugly interface like everything is gray and everything looks the same and it's just sort of gnarly looking but like in that it feels so like utilitarian or something yeah yeah like they didn't they they were they like didn't even bother having an interface design team. They're like, no, 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 we don't need you. <laughs> like, we don't need this. We just, you know, if it's not working, we're going to put a big red X over it. Yeah. Great. Perfect. <laughs> I, lo- I love the rawness of that, uh, you know, the interface design, speaking from a interface that's, yeah, design nerd perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So what other, um, or are there any, like, other tools or software that you're excited about? That's a good question. So I, I've always been really interested in sinking my teeth into substance and zbrush you know those are tools that that um that i've worked with plenty of other artists who are incredibly skilled those applications that's why like for me i was the same but it's like like this guy's so good like kyle's the best like kyle can make like all these sps like sars so quickly that are like so awesome and like this guy's like a great character modeler and this guy's my hard surface modeler it's like well then why would i like do it right like they're already so good yeah but yeah you start going down the road and and i think this is this is sort of the the conundrum in the world of motion design is like generalist or specialist like where do i go yeah. You know, and and it, and there's no right or wrong answer. It's really just kind of up to you. And 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 you can you can change along the way. And there's like a gradient between the two where like you can specialize in a couple of things, but be very general and everything else. And, mm-hmm. You know, but that's always the thing. It's like, well, where do I want to invest my time and energy learning things? Do I want to do I really want to go in hard on this one thing or do I want to like pick and choose from a few different things? And you know, it's, I can say for myself that, that I've had times when I've really focused hard on specializing on a couple of things. But I think overall, like if I look back, you know, over the last 20 years or so, I'd say I'm, I'm pretty general in a lot of ways, you know, like I, I, think I you know have to be like, yeah, to, to some extent flexible. you have to be. Uh, yeah. But I love working with people that are like, super super skilled in like one specific area and you're like wow i that's ridiculous i don't know how you came up with whatever that crazy thing is but man it's it's cool to work with people that are hyper specialized definitely yeah there's just so much out there to learn like yeah i think it's good to like follow whatever you're most passionate about or most curious about or most excited about yeah you really do have to i mean honestly our industry everything is pretty awesome. So it's like you get to choose from just a really great selection, which is kind of difficult to do, but. Yeah, I always always kind of told my my students when I was teaching that like, you know, follow the thing that gets you excited. Like if you're excited about something, like if you you try and take in the entire breadth of motion graphics, like you're just going to be overwhelmed. But like follow the things that like, get you excited to watch like what are the things that get you stoked when you when you're like digging into to pinterest or instagram or wherever you're like drawing inspiration you know when you're watching a movie or a tv show like what's the thing that like makes you go wow yeah that's awesome i want more of that yeah like follow that like there's 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 so much out there man like you can you can do whatever you want yeah well it's really fun 
Yeah, I'm trying to narrow it down myself. We'll see. <laughs> right now, I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to work in C4D and build some assets there for a while. But I really want to get into like, um, I've been messing with World Creator and yeah. World Machine a little bit. Oh, which those I are really like. So cool. Yeah, I like like you were saying with kind of that very um, like utilitarian, like basic look versus like the more flashy look. Like I feel like yeah. those are two really good examples where I like World Machine a lot, and it's very fast. Like the the GPU, like fully built GPU system is great, but something about World Creator, even though to me it looks like like a 90s program, it being like like a little node-based and your little preview window and everything, I feel like you can really customize and like nitpick yeah. and exactly what you want. Yeah. But yeah, it's all about whatever works best for you, I guess. 100%, man. Um, Houdini has some pretty wild terrain building, mm-hmm. kind of like world building tools as well that I've, I've dabbled in. Uh, but man, I, I love, I love doing that and like, you know, setting up a, a, you know, a really cool environment. I also really enjoy, um, getting like, um, uh, like map data or like, you know, like OSM data or, um, you know, uh, dem data and, and, you know, really creating, um, creating like landscapes that feel like really rich and real, yeah. you know, I just, man, I love that stuff. That's so fun. Yeah. That's totally. so fun. A little bit of like a God complex. I think it gives us when we're like, I yeah. should build a whole world. This <laughs> whole is amazing. Yeah. Smash it later. <laughs> yeah, you know? totally. You always smash it in the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're probably like a big X particles user too. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I love X particles. Yeah. I feel like that for me is like it, it, integrates so perfectly with C4D between like X particles and the usual C4D and After Effects. I get most of what I want to do between all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's an intensely powerful system and, and really complements Cinema 4D so well in how intuitive it is. Like you don't need to know, you know, crazy math and physics to get those particles to work. You don't need to hook up incredibly complex convoluted, thinking particles setups to get these things to work. They just, they just kind of work, which was always, you know, I mean, that's, that's what cinema 4d is so good at. It just works. Like you just put those things together and it just happens, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I love X particles. It's such a, such a powerful system. It's so cool. It just feels like it's part of Cinema 4D. Like I sometimes forget that it do, it doesn't come packaged with when I have to like pay for my annual license or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I like that this turned into like a love letter for C4D. Hey, you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, I, I love uh, I love some Cinema 4D, man. Look Seriously, I'm right there with you. Uh, Russ, <laughs> I got a couple speed questions for you. Sure, hit me. Awesome. All right. So any movie that has come out that you have not worked on could go all the way to the beginning of time. What movie do you wish you could have worked on? Alien. Alien. I don't remember like a whole lot of FBI uh, in Alien. I thought it was like more like really analog looking. It was very analog looking. Um, Ron Cobb was the uh, the production designer um, on it. And if you look up his work, he, he had built... Um, this thing called like the semiotics of, of design where he had, he had built all of those little icons and given them all unique meaning. Like he dove deep and I absolutely love his aesthetic. Like Mm -hmm. the aesthetic that he built for that, 
that world was just so cool and it felt so right, yeah. you know? Uh, Alien and Aliens, the, the second one, they both had um, just, just amazing um, considered design. And it was so cool, man. That's, you know, if, if that's, that's one person that, you know, if I was able to, to work on a movie with somebody that would, that'd be it for me. Oh man. Sorry. I think someone set off the fire alarm. Uh Oh, give it a sec. It'll go away. Yeah. Hey, look at that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. As if I needed like an excuse to watch alien and aliens again, but I will now. So there, I remember uh, like, I don't know if it was from this, but like, I remember like the red dots that like represent the aliens and aliens. Is that part of it? Like, yeah. On the, uh, on the the little motion trackers and everything, they're like the weird, like big blobs. And then there were the little red dots that represent the humans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, there was of course, tons of like very analog kind of buttons and button Mm -hmm. pads with like weird symbols and stuff. But like, you know, Ron Cobb, like, built all of that, like designed all of that, like every single one has meaning, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether or not Sigourney Weaver was actually considering the meaning when she was punching those things right. in, you yeah. but like, you know, he, he really, to me was, was such a big inspiration for the way that he approached design for feature film, because it literally could just be like some like random crap you threw on each button and like nobody would know the difference, but he, he, really thought through everything. And I think that's so cool. Like there's such a layer of, if you can bring just that extra layer of realism to that fantasy world, I feel like you get, you get a a little bit more of a connection in the, in the design. I just, I love it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a really like interesting thing to like, like if it's just a screen of like the, the interface stuff, that stuff still has to like tell a story and you have to understand it. And it's not like there's going to be an actor who's going to be like, that thing represents the alien and that's yeah. us. And here's a building. Like it has to, you know, speak for itself. Exactly. And you have to, you have to make sure that you're speaking to the people who are paying attention, but you have to also make sure you're speaking to the guy in the back of the theater. Who's like texting on his phone. Yeah. You know, like he has to be able to glance up and immediately understand Mm. what is happening if it's too convoluted or you have to explain what you're showing it's it's working against you um and that's always kind of like the fun challenge is like how do you boil a complex story element down to uh something that you can just show visually and you don't have to tell them what's going on um and that's that's kind of the fun challenge of graphic design really yeah like visual communication it's 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 a fascinating field, man. Yeah, seriously. Um, what would you name your AI friend? Like your Jarvis, uh, what would you name? <laughs> oh, that's such a good question. I hadn't even thought about that. You know, <laughs> Gotta um, be prepared. oh man, <sighs> what would it be called? I'm going to, uh, the first thing that popped into my mind was Ella, which is uh, my dog's name. That's so a good name. I might, I might go with that. I might go with that off the top of my head, but I, I bet that was like on the, the my <laughs> <laughs> Ella, I bet Ella was like on the, the top 10 list for like Siri, you know, there's yeah. like one of like almost there. Yeah. It's Ella, simple it's like and like, nice. you could think about, you know, like if you could come up with like a nice acronym for it, you know, what would E-L-L-A stand for, you know, electronic live hmm. language, live assist. Language. Perfect. Uh, Ella. 
<laughs> that's it. That's great. Um, what is your all-time favorite, like, single shot or, like, single effect that you've worked on? <sighs> that I've worked on? That you have worked oh, on, Oh, yeah. let's see. Um, I think the one that that's probably going to stand out the most in my, oh, man, that's tough. So I, I think off the top of my head, when it comes to FUI, the thing that probably stands out the most is, is, is Tony Stark's jet where um, Peter Parker is putting his suit together at the end of um, Spider-Man Far From Home. You know, and he's got the, the the table of all his elements and he's kind of like picking the parts of his suit and kind of assembling his, so his kind of like final battle suit. Yeah. Uh, and having him like put the gauntlet on and like walk across the room. That, you know, I mean, like Iron Man, the way that, the way that they imagined the interaction of the holograms in that, in the very first movie was so cool. It was, yeah. it was such a shift that like, you know, I think I think having a having a, a chance to even even put a tiny tiny stamp on that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe was was a, a big moment for me because that was it was such a cool thing to see Tony Stark interacting with all of these like really beautiful holograms. Um, yeah, there's something cool about like the Spider-Man um, scene too with it. Like with yeah. the Iron Man scene, it is kind of like this like big epic scene and like it like all that stuff is kind of like the focal point. Yeah. But with the Spider-Man scene, it's almost just like, yeah, sweet. Oh, this is freaking awesome. Like, like it, it's so like ingrained already, like yeah. how they like act and move. And you don't even have to explain it. You're just like, Oh, he's in Tony Stark's jet. Of course there's crazy holograms. Sure. Yeah. He's building his own suit. This is great. Yeah. Uh, and, and to have just an opportunity through until you find that. the one you want and everything. Yeah. That's the one I got to have that. I got to pick this. Yeah. Yeah. So fun. Yeah. I love it. All right. Last question. This is an important one. Um, if you had to lead a battle against the underworld, like demons are coming out and they're like, Ooh. they're ready to conquer civilizations. Um, and you have 10 seconds to give a speech to rally the whole world. What would that 10 second speech be? <sighs> Man. Okay. 10 second speech. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna wing it. We'll see. Yep. Uh, you know, today marks the turning point. This is the moment where we decide if we are going to live or we are going to die. This is not about your ideas or my ideas. This is about survival. That's, that's very it. unifying. I love that's, that. I, uh, I, you know, I think if you're, if you're leading, you know, humans, especially these days where we're so divided and there's so much kind of like conflict and you know and everything like you got to have a, a unifying message you got to be like okay well we either work together or we're all dead i love That's that it. yeah leave your differences behind focus on yeah. survival and let's kill us some demons yes exactly 100 cool. <laughs> percent. i love it awesome uh russ man it's freaking awesome talking to you uh i would Likewise. love to do this again in like a year or so and, and just for catch sure. up and yeah. for sure I yeah, really, great. really appreciate it. Uh, can you tell our listeners and our viewers where they can find your work? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. So I, I unfortunately don't have a public reel that is uh, updated at the moment. I'm waiting on studio approvals for some last pieces, which eh, can take some time. And especially these days with uh, with COVID going on and everything, yeah. everything's always a little always a little uh, 
super slow. Um, <laughs> but my website is robotastronaut.tv. Um, if you want to see some of the things that, that I've worked on, you could visit Perception's website, which is experienceperception.com. Um, I was there for five and a half years, so I'd say most of what you see on that website I've had a, 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 a pretty good hand in. Um, and uh, they're, they're super good people and always have some cool stuff coming out. And as soon as I can uh, you know, publicly show a reel again, I will, uh, I'll send it your way. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see it. And um, for any C4D users out there, Russ is really open with his knowledge and his skill sets and how he gets inspired. So just Google his name and YouTube and like watch some of his SIGGRAPH talks. And like, that's how I've learned a lot of um, what I'm like currently working on for some future production grade assets. So yeah, Russ, really, really nice talking with you and yeah, love to connect Likewise, again. Chris. Likewise, Chris, thank you so much for having me on. This was awesome. Totally, man. Yeah. Cool. cool. Thank you for listening. And remember, to make it awesome.